Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's The Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Guy today. I am so excited to be here. I love doing this show. We have a lot of fun putting it together. So joining us next hour will be Jason Rance, host of the Jason Rance Show on KTTH in Seattle. Uh, also next hour, Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg will be joining us. And then two hours from now, Todd Pyro from Fox and Friends first joining us. Uh, as I said, I'm Mary Walter sitting in. For Guy Benson. Now, um, I always welcome your calls throughout the show. I love to hear from you. I, I, you know, sometimes I will get a totally different view on things by something that, you know, if you, if you challenge me, something you have to say that maybe uh, I disagree with, maybe I'll see it a little bit differently. So I enjoy that. You just, I just ask that you be respectful. That's where the bar is for me. Just, just be respectful and, and we'll get along just fine. 833-456-456. 1300. That's the number. All right. We're, we're going to start off talking about vaccines because this happened. This was an exchange between uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, and uh, Peter Ducey. And he was asking her on uh, Djokovic being blocked from the U.S. Open because he's not vaccinated, so he can't come into this country. And a lot of people are looking at this saying, why, why is this happening? Are we, why are we still doing this? This doesn't seem to be making a lot of sense. And Peter pointed out why, at least I think a lot of reasons, uh, that people like us look at this and say, this doesn't make sense because of this. Here's what the exchange between Peter and Corinne Jean-Pierre. How come migrants are allowed to come into this country unvaccinated, but world-class tennis players are not? Are you you're talking about which world-class tennis player? Novak Djokovic. So they're two different things. They're two and, different things. But so are, how is it two different things? Somebody unvaccinated comes over on a plane. You say that's not okay. Somebody walks into Texas or Arizona unvaccinated. They're allowed to stay. But, Why? But that's not how it works. Like we actually no. Happening. I know that that's not what you guys want to happen, but that is what ha- what is happening. But that's not. It's not like somebody walks over and <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's that not how. Exactly what's happening. We well, thousands of people are walking in a day. Some of them turn themselves over. Some of them are caught. Tens of thousands a week are not. That is what is happening. Sometimes, and I kind of feel sorry for her because sometimes she says things that are so profoundly stupid as she flips through her binder, you know, she's flipping through the binder the whole time. It's clearly a crutch and she's flipping and flipping and flipping. But sometimes the words that come out of her mouth are, as I said, so profoundly stupid that the liberal media is sitting there in the room. You can hear them laugh at her. I do kind of feel badly for her because she is so far in over her head 
that I, I don't know. I just kind of wish she would just go, you know what? Th- th- this isn't for me. I, I really probably should resign this position, but it's never going to happen because she wasn't, she wasn't put in the position based on her qualifications. She was put in that position based on affirmative action and the number of boxes that she checks, just like our vice president. It's about the number of boxes, just like our, the head of our transportation, the number of boxes they check. This is an affirmative action presidency. This is what happens when you hire people based on their skin color, uh, genitalia, things like that, as opposed to qualifications. So in that sense, I kind of don't feel badly for her because she's allowing herself to be used in this way. Um, so it, it went on between um, Corinne Jean-Pierre and Peter Ducey. Here's more. Why is there a CDC requirement for people that fly here as opposed to people that cross the southern border? Look, we have talked about Title. We have talked about Title 42, right? This we not, have. This has nothing to do with Title 42. It is. It, title is, 42 is the CDC uh, imperative. And that you is. You guys got rid of it because he said the pandemic. That's is not, not. That is. That anymore. is not how it works. It is not every Title 42 is very much in place. And that is the process. So there is a CDC, uh, there is a CDC provision for uh, folks coming through, uh, coming through the southern border. It is not just, uh, it is not just for tennis players. Uh, migrants have also a CDC guidance that we have to follow, which is Title 42. So that is not the case. That is factually wrong. And she's factually lying. Okay, we all know it's a lie. Everybody knows it's a lie. We can all see what's happening, but that's what they do. They either choose not to answer or they just say, oh, no, 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 that's not true. Don't believe your lying eyes. So I'm going to tell you a story, something that I'm dealing with, uh, but I want to know from you if you... If COVID's still affecting your life, and how? Is it the mask thing? Is it kids in school? Is it social events? Uh, what does it happen to be? Uh, 833-456-1300 is the number. 833-456-1300. And I, I bring this up because last night, Christine and I, hello, Christine, uh, we, had a, we had a conversation last night, and she said, we have to do this on the air. And she got really, really, really fired up about it. So um, I said, okay, we can do this, but there were certain things I'm not discussing. And she said, okay, fine. So are you ready for this, Christine? Bring it. I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. So last night at like 1030 at night, we're having this conversation and we have um, a relationship with some people we've known forever. And my husband and I have known forever and ever and ever. We all grew up together, um, really close. Our families are all at each other's life events, you know, bar mitzvahs, first communions, weddings, funerals, all of that. So very close. And there is one member of one faction of this group, okay, that um, is very COVID phobic. And so they've had some events where they, they put a card in the invitation that says, you know, according to CDC guidance, we, we you know, we respect, wish that everybody be vaccinated and boosted and present a negative COVID test. If you are not vaccinated and boosted, please, um, we, we respect, we ask that you do not attend. Fine. So I am, I'm, I'm not vaccinated. I've had COVID. I'm not vaccinated. My odds of surviving COVID are 99.96%. I survived it last time around, did just fine. I was a little sick and you know, I had a fever, but it was like a flu. So, um, so I respect their wishes and I don't go. So that all of this being said, I want everyone to, I, I do say that it's their event. It's their party. They can do what they want. 
right? You can invite whomever you choose. That's fine. So I can't go. So my husband has decided he's not going either. So now everybody in this group, all of the friends, everybody who's intertwined in this, in this, uh, this relationship, it's a big deal now. So I'm just curious if you've heard anything similar, like I can't go, even if I present a negative COVID test, which I'm fine with that. If you want a negative COVID test, fine, I'll take a COVID test, give it to you. That's fine. I don't care. Okay. But there's no difference in my negative COVID test and someone who's been vaxxed and double boosted and had COVID's negative COVID test, right? A negative test, a negative test. Go ahead, Christine, let loose. I, I already angry. Dan has just (laughs) warned me, no cursing. (laughs) Okay, Mary, let's just start from the beginning. It's not fine. Like you said, okay, they have these rules, fine. No, it's not fine. It is 2022. We're not living, this is not June of 2020. I was vaxxed two years ago. Guess what? I got COVID. My husband was vaxxed, double boosted. Guess what? He got COVID and it wasn't pretty. I wound up in the emergency room. Ooh. Yes, it was not pretty. Needless to say, how are these people at this time and point saying you have to be vaccinated? You think my vaccine is still relevant two years later? You think it's it's gonna work? And to tell someone they have to be boosted when we've seen the science, doesn't mean you're not gonna get it, doesn't mean that you can't spread it. So. Are you telling me that these people of yours, and I'll be polite, don't go to stores, don't go food shopping, they don't leave their house, they don't mingle with people they not necessarily know, they don't go to a restaurant? How do you know everybody's vaccinated there? So why are you putting this rule when now important people in your life can't attend? Well, again, I will say again, it's their party. They can do what they want. That's fine. And, and, and that, that being said, do I think it's ridiculous? Yes. However, and here's the question. I think that we are not the only ones who know people whose, I just say their brains are broken because of COVID. They are going to live their life in fear forever. You can't tell me you don't know somebody who's still putting a mask on to go sit in their car by themselves. It's still happening. I see those people drive by every single day. I actually don't. And I don't know if it's just necessarily I won't allow it to happen. You know, like we switched my daughter out of public school into private school two years ago because I she I expected her to be in school. We were not going to do this stay at home and on a computer. It was not going to happen for her. Right. So I we've tried to really make it, you know, it's over. Like, there's nothing more we can do. It is something that we all have to live with, but we have to move on with our lives. Yes, I'm scared. I'm, I'm, I'm like paranoid about everything under the sun. But it's true. I mean, <laughs> my God, <laughs> it's no surprise. But for some reason, Mary, when you told me this story, it really angered me. It's almost to the point I want to say, "How dare you!" At this point of the game, how dare you tell me what I need to do with my body in order to attend a wedding? Come on. So, no, I haven't really dealt with anything like this per se. It's not to say other people aren't. And I I feel bad, you know, for people like you that are. And by the way, mega, mega points to your husband for not going. 
Well, you know, I, in all honesty, I said to him, if you want to go, go. I'm not going to be, I don't begrudge you that. I'm not going to be angry at you for, uh, for going. Uh, that's fine. You, you do what you feel is best to keep, you know, even if it's just to keep the peace with everybody in the group, I- I'm okay with that. Um, and he was just like, this is ridiculous. I am just not participating in this anymore. And he had, that was it. So, cause he has gone to events in the past without me that have had those requirements, but they had those requirements you know, we went to, there was a different friends had a wedding uh, last year and had the same requirements. And so I couldn't go. And so neither one of us, he, he chose not to go to, he's like, I'm not going to go without you. It's not going to be fun. I'm like, fine, that's your choice. Um, but you know, if he had said he wanted to go, I totally would support him 110%. And I just said, you know, I'm just doing a girls weekend then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going out with the girls I'm going someplace fun, have a great time, you know, and that's it. And he was fine with that. So, um, but I can't be the only one who knows people whose brains are broken. 833-456-1300, 833-456-1300. And I think sadly, there are some people I kind of feel a little bad for them because I think that they, I, I can't imagine living your life that afraid. I, I, I really can't. I can't imagine what it's like to be that afraid. I had COVID and I didn't wind up in the ER. Um, probably because my husband's a doctor who deals with really sick COVID patients all the time. And when I told him I was dying, he said, I'm sorry, but you have moderate flu symptoms. And I'm like, get out of my room. (laughs) And it's true. I had a fever. I had gastric issues, you know, so, uh, you know, I had a hard time, you know, taste and smell, that kind of thing. So I I would, if I was working, I would have lost probably a week of work out sick. Uh, But I would have done that if it was a bad flu. So same thing. It so is the same thing. And that's why I don't, I mean, and think about this, like you didn't want it up in the emergency room and you were not vaccinated. I was and wound up in the emergency room. So I just, I, the one thing I want to ask is, and I'm sure you probably didn't cause you are classier than I am. Oh, by the way, you are a fun time at a wedding. I've been to weddings with you. You are a very fun time. So I agree with your husband. Um, did you push back at all just yourself to say, no. Are you not going out in public? Do you not food shop? Do you not go to a mall? Do you not go to a restaurant? You didn't ask any of those questions? No. You know why? Because you, it's like discussing someone's religion with them. I think when people are this afraid, you can't challenge it because it's how they feel. It has nothing to do with the science. It's how they feel. So you can't, you can't discuss religion with someone and question their religion. You can't, and I think that that's what this is to a lot of people. It's a religious belief at this point in the game. And, and honestly, at this point, I don't want to go to this event because if I go and somebody gets COVID, they're going to blame me. So at this point, I'm not going anyway, just because everybody's afraid of me. I know they're afraid of me. So because of that reason, if they call me tomorrow and said, oh, it's okay. You can come be like, nope, mm -mm, not coming because I don't want to get, I don't want to get blamed. 833-456-1300. I'll get to your calls next on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. 
That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's not just a disconnect. It's, it's, it's in, an injustice. I mean, millions of illegal immigrants have walked across the border over the past year and a half for unvaccinated. This is an administration and a president who tried to use OSHA to force every single person working in this country to take a vaccine, whether they wanted it or not. They were for firing firefighters, police officers, doctors and nurses who were on the front lines of the pandemic uh, during the, the beginning of the pandemic when there were no vaccines available uh, because they had natural immunity and that didn't qualify under the Biden administration's rules. So uh, the idea that they would not allow one of the healthiest human beings in the world who has recovered from uh, COVID twice, who, by the way, played in the open last year into the country now proves what people say about the government using this as a control and coercion mechanism. That's Kitty Pavlich on a special report. And this is really true. I mean, the reason <laughs> your flights are delayed all over the place, they keep telling us because, because of weather. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that we fired a whole bunch of pilots and now there aren't enough, right? I'm sure it has nothing to do with that. Of course not. Uh, so I was just telling the story about how, um, yeah, I can't go to an event because I'm not vaccinated. And um, again, I don't want anyone to think that, um, I mean, I, these people are so important to me. I'm not, I, I truly, truly think you can do what you want when it comes to your, um, when it comes to your parties, you can invite whomever you want. You can put whatever, um, restrictions on it. Y- you choose. I really believe that, but in my brain, they should at least make sense. And that's where I, I lose on this one. Um, I, I, I question it when I say I lose, I mean, like I kind of lose my, my, tolerance a little bit uh because i'm like well, wait a minute wait, wait a minute you know everybody who works here are you gonna test everybody are you gonna demand everybody's papers you know people i went to an event so there was an award ceremony i won a radio award in um in june and it was being held in manhattan and it was um it, they they had to be vaccinated and boosted and everything else and then they decided about a week out that if I presented a negative COVID test that was taken within 24 to 48 hours before the event and I brought them a negative COVID test, I had to email it to them, that I could come in. And to me, I'm like, okay, that makes sense to me. I'm, I'm totally cool with that because a negative test to me is a negative test no matter what. But I think there are some people who unfortunately their brains are always going to be broken. And Unfortunately, I think a lot of friendships and familial relationships, work relationships are going to be destroyed because of this. And that's, that's really sad. You know, I, I think that the lines were becoming more divided because of things like this than we have to be. You know, I would have lost my job if I, if I, you know, didn't lose it uh, when they, because my company was putting in um, vaccine restrictions and I was going to walk because I didn't see a need for it when I have a 99.96% survivability of COVID. So I personally didn't see a need to have that put in. All right, coming up, Trump raid. We're going to talk about the raid on Mar-a-Lago. We're going to talk about what uh, the FBI found or did not find uh, and where all of this is going. That's coming up next. I'm Mary Welter. You're listening to The Guy Benson Show. (laughs) 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Hey, I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Guy Benson on the Guy Benson Show. Coming up next hour, we're going to be joined by Jason Rance, host of the Jason Rance Show on KTTH in Seattle. And also Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg will be joining us next hour as well. Also wanted to let you know that on Thursdays at 7.15, I do have a podcast If you look for Mary Walter Radio on YouTube or Mary Walter on Gitter, you can watch the show uh, live. And, of course, you can always go back and see past episodes uh, by going to either one of those two places, Mary Walter Radio on YouTube or Mary Walter on Getter. Uh, Wrapping up a conversation we just had about uh, vaccines, etc., and knowing people who just are always going to be afraid. 833-456-1300. Dennis in Virginia would like to comment. Dennis, you're on the Guy Benson Show. Hi, how are you? Hi, Mary. It's great to hear you. Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm just referencing earlier conversation. Uh, I had a friend, older lady that I worked with, and she and I got along well. uh, So we kept in touch after I left the job. And she posted a comment about, you know, you you need to wear your mask. You need to not go out unless you really have to. You need to make sure you get your vaccinations. And and I I wrote back to her. I said, well, you know, this is now endemic. We are never going to get rid of it. It's like the cold or the flu. And and I and I said, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but. What do you intend to do? Are you, are you going to wear double masks for the rest of your life? Are you going to never go out again? And uh, she wrote back along, something along the lines of, well, you know, I'm older and I, I, I need to be careful and you need to be respectful of other people and, and you know, wear masks and stuff if that's what they want you to do. And, and I was like, okay, that's that's your preference, and I can deal with that. But before I could even reply to that comment, a third person kind of jumped into the conversation and was like, yeah, that's the way to deal with those crazies, those stupid science deniers. Don't let them. And I thought, wow, that escalated really Now, was he accusing you of being a science denier or her of being a science denier? Me. You. Because I dared. Yeah, because I dared, you know, not follow the company line or whatever, I guess. I didn't, oh. But, yeah, these people get insane over, you know, just their preconceived notions of what this must be. Yeah, but but I you know I'm I'm like you. Okay, if you don't want to invite me to your event because you're afraid, um, I I disagree with that. But it is not my event. 
you know, so I'm not going to, to say anything, you know, I, I just said, okay, fine. I'm, I'm just not coming and that's fine. And you know, they know why they know that I'm not vaccinated. They knew that when they sent me the invitation. And so I'm sure they knew that I wasn't going to respond. Okay. I'm sure I was invited for social reasons only. And so that I could send a gift. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, in my brain, I, here's how I view it. These people who feel this way, I, I, I do, I feel sorry for them, but you know what? They're doing this by choice. This is their choice to run around with masks on from now till the day they die. They're not going to attend certain events. They're not going to go here. They're never going to get on a, a plane again. You know, they're not going to do this. They're not going to do that. Okay, fine. That's your life. And that doesn't affect me. Where it does affect me, then I'm like, I, I, I okay, I got a free weekend now. You know, this is just the way I look at it, and and I just think that this also is going to be part of the new normal going forward. I, I think this is exactly what happens now in the new normal going forward, um, unfortunately. And so, very quickly, and then I'll let you go. Are you still friends with her, or has that stopped? Um, you know, we're still acquainted. I mean, we were never close, but we we were always acquaintances, and. Yeah, I mean, she's a sweet lady. I have nothing against her. You know, she's obviously got some crazy friends on the other side that are, you know, willing to go out and attack people just because they ask a question, just because they're curious. Right, right. No, I, I agree. Those those people I cannot be friends with, but I'm a big fan of live and let live, and I'm not going to impose my views on you. You don't impose yours on me. Again, feel free to run around with a mask on. Thank you so much, Dennis. I, I appreciate you joining me. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. So my husband and I will walk. You know, we do the we do the walk thing, get some exercise. Even though we do other exercise, we do that. And... um I love when I see someone who is wearing a mask in their car by themselves because we just look at them and we both say at the same time, we'll look at each other and go, Biden voter. (laughs) I see people wearing masks outside, socially distancing, and, and I just feel badly. Now, listen, if you've got an, a compromised immune system, I get it. But then don't wear one of these little surgical masks on your face with all the gaping holes around it because you're doing nothing. It's not protecting you at all, period. You need to have an N95 mask that is fitted to your face in order to prevent yourself from um, getting something. And and I hate I go to stores. And we still have the plexiglass, the magic plexiglass that prevents COVID from going around, above, or under it, the magic plexiglass. And I went somewhere, and I was just like, are are we really still doing the plexiglass? And most people are like, yes, we're still doing the plexiglass. You know, they don't like it either. I took my husband to have an outpatient procedure yesterday. I wasn't allowed in with me how to wear a mask inside because in New Jersey, it's a mandate. You must wear a mask at all medical facilities at all times even though none of the masks fit anybody, but sure, let's virtue signal. And um, I couldn't go into the waiting room with him. He had to go into an outside room where he had to sit, and then they would call him in. The waiting room in the the doctor's office, the medical office, no one was allowed in. You had to sit outside, and they had socially distanced benches, socially distanced, and then someone would call you, and then he would go in, and then to pick him up, I had to drive around the building. They would call me because I couldn't wait. They had to call me. They gave me like 15 minutes, 20 minutes to get there. I had to go to the place. I had to drive around to a side of the building where they have a flag and some orange cones and a door where they would have the person who was being picked up on, on, a, on a chair. It was ridiculous. And 
I said something to the woman who called me and I was just like, so I can't come in. She's like, no. I'm like, why are we still doing this? She said, I, I, I don't know why we're still doing this. I have no idea why we're still doing this. Nobody likes this. This is ridiculous. But I think this is the way it's going to be forever, forever and ever and ever. I don't understand it. Let's go to uh, Rob on Long Island. Rob, you're on the Guy Benson Show. Hi. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing great. So, what do you do? You know anybody like this? I know a lot of people like this. Um, just, just a little background. I, I had a uh, a potato chip route during the whole pandemic. I was out there every day before masks, before vaccines, after masks. Uh, I'd be packing out in a, in a, then when the masks came on and we had to wear them like in the stores, uh, I had people that would walk by and say, put your mask over your nose, you know, if I had it down under my uh. nose. Uh, but I, I, I got, a, I got a lot of funny ones, right? I, I'm retired now. Okay. Actually, I'm semi-retired. I went back to work at, uh, Michael's Arts and Crafts where I was a manager for 13 years. Yeah. And, and, but I'm just a regular person on the floor now no more management anyway okay. so uh, i i ring register a lot and what i see every day is funny i mean i've had people come up to the register and say just scan it don't touch it please <laughs> uh, did what, you tell them that somebody touched it to put it on the shelves uh, she, she was an old lady i didn't go at it up but i got a better one than that so i got a lady comes up to the counter and she takes out of her shopping wagon Oh, about 25, 28 items, something like that. So I, I get them, and I scan them all, and I put them all in a bag. Uh, and then I hand the bag back to her. And then I ask if she's in the that rewards program that they have. Right. And she, sa- she says yes. I says, all right, can you put your phone number in there? And she looks at me, and she goes, I don't want to touch the keypad. So, so I, I started laughing. I said, you're kidding me, right? She goes, well, what do you mean? I says, well... You just shopped the store with the, your hands on the shopping wagon. You picked up 28 different items, put them in the wagon, hand them to me. I picked them up, put them in your bag. I said, and now you're afraid to touch the keypad. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, we got to run. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate some of those. Uh, the president is speaking, so we want to we want to move over there uh, to to see what uh, President Joe Biden is saying. If we have that, do we have that? Go ahead, Dan. He knows what it means investing in effective and accountable community policing that builds public strength and strengthens public safety. I'm old enough to remember when cops used to walk the beat in Wilmington and in Scranton because they knew everybody. They knew the kid. They knew if something was trouble, they knew whose house to go and knock on the door and say, Mom, your son just did. I'm being I'm not being facetious. They knew the neighborhoods. As part of the American Rescue Plan, I signed into law last year, which they voted for, we set aside $350 billion, with a B, billion dollars for state and local governments all across America and urged them to use it like your governor did to make communities safer. Here in Pennsylvania, Governor Wolf is using $250 million of that money to reduce crime and violence across this state. And... And Mayor Brown. All right, that's the president in Pennsylvania, where he has made more campaign appearances than anywhere else. We will come back with more on The Guy Benson Show. 
Guy Benson. We'll be right back. All right, I'm Mary Welter sitting in for Guy Benson. We're going to rejoin President Biden on Stump in Pennsylvania. If you get stopped, put your hands in the wheel. Don't do anything. There's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm being serious. But here's the point. Simply jogging. Sleeping on their homes. You know, they made headlines or not. They've lot of lost souls. Increased trust makes policing more effective. And it strengthens public safety. And the communities, by the way, that want the police more than any other community are the tough, poor communities. Black, white, immigrants. They need the help. They want the help. It's not they don't want it. They want the help. Without that, victims don't call for help. Witnesses don't step forward. Crimes go unsolved. Justice isn't served. I took executive action, which I'm allowed to do as president. I always admired governors can take executive action. But all kidding aside, to make some of these reforms for federal officers, I couldn't do it for state officers. One, no federal officer is allowed to use a chokehold. No federal officer can restrict, there's restricted no-knock warrants. We created a national database for officers who have misbehaved and been held accountable so they can't hide. My plan will help make sure that state and local governments adopt these same reforms. My plan does something else really important. It addresses the opioid epidemic. Notice how many people are dying of opioid overdoses now? And by the way, laced with fentanyl? Attorney General Sapiro can tell you more about that. You never want to know for a fact. For real. He's been such a strong leader on this. But we're going to impose tougher penalties for deadly fentanyl trafficking. That's poisoning communities across this country. This is a key part of the unity agenda I'm announcing in my, that I announced in my State of the Union address. We can do this. We have to do this. We'll make America safer. My plan also takes common sense action to reduce gun violence and violence overall. It builds on the progress we made this summer when I signed into law the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, the most significant gun safety law we passed in 30 years. It took 30 years. And we beat the NRA. We took them on and we beat the NRA straight up. You have no idea how intimidating they are to elected officials. The NRA was against it, which means the vast majority, the vast majority of Republicans in Congress couldn't even stand up and vote for it because they're afraid of the NRA. It's not unusual. Every Democrats, Republicans, senators, they, they get afraid of certain interest groups. They voted against it. Law enforcement supported it. Faith leaders and teachers supported it. Victims of gun violence and their families right, supported let's, uh, it. Let's just break in here. I just made some quick notes. Uh, about what Biden was saying there. He said, um, you, you know, it, you can't be if he was talking about black people jogging. And I think that was referring to what happened. I think that was in Georgia where they stopped Ahmaud Aubrey, who was uh, jogging. But remember, Fetterman, who is running for Senate against Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, admitted back, I don't know how many years ago, he too stopped a black man who was jogging through the neighborhood. But he thought it was just fine that he did that. So there's that. He talked to having about a, he, there's a database of bad cops. 
I would love a database of bad politicians. Can we do that? Politicians who cheat on their taxes, don't file their ethics reforms, uh, their forms when they're supposed to, don't notify uh, the proper, they're supposed to fill out a form for when they make stock transactions. How about bad politicians? Can, can we, can we get, get a database on those? Then he goes on and he starts talking about fentanyl and opioids. He's the biggest oh, he's the biggest fentanyl trafficker in the world because we have an open border that he is allowing the drug cartels to operate. He's a hypocrite by talking about that. He's suddenly outraged about that. I'm going to stop the fentanyl like the opioids that are killing. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. It's happening. I'm not kidding. Whenever he says I'm not kidding or it's a fact or for real, those are all his tells that he knows he's lying. Um, And then he talked about his unity agenda. This is the guy who just called, he called Republicans ultra MAGA. You know, like that was going to be like a bad thing. So now, of course, Trump took it and Trump supporters took it. And you see T-shirts that say ultra MAGA now. And then he just called the MAGA agenda and Republicans semi-fascists. And when asked to define it, he just snickered at, <laughs> you know what I mean. It, sometimes I think he has lucid moments where he knows very well what he's doing. You know, every now and then Joe wakes up and he says certain things and he knows darn well what he's doing. It's, you know, Joe, the politician is back. And uh, so, so I just found that those things just to be so, so, so disingenuous and lies and lies. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. So uh, if there's anything else comes up that's important during his speech, of course, uh, we'll bring it to you. And then he's giving another speech on Thursday, and that's what he was talking about, his unity speech, you know, that we're going we're gonna, to, my unity platform, he's going to be talking about that on Thursday. And we'll talk a little bit more about what he's doing in Pennsylvania. Coming up, Jason Rance, host of the Jason Rance Show on KTTH in Seattle. We'll talk about this with him, and we've got some other news stories that we will discuss with Jason. Uh, Also next hour, Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg will be joining us. We're going to talk about Taiwan. There's some news coming out about Taiwan. Uh, We also uh, will talk about Solomon Islands. Never knew where they were. Now I do. Solomon Islands, uh, uh, Iraq, Iran, and more. And then following that will be Todd Pyro, serve us, uh, co-host of Fox and Friends First. It's all coming up. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Guy Benson Show. Unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative. Guy Benson Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Guy Benson. Very happy to be here. Let's start off with uh, a face I'm sure you know, a guy you know, Jason Rance, host of the Jason Rance Show on KTTH, 770 AM, 94.5 FM in Seattle and Tacoma. Jason, thank you for taking the time to join me. So so glad to be able to talk to you because I, I feel like I know you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really appreciate the invite. And may I just say as one radio person to another, did you have to go into radio because of your last name? You had to go into political talk? 
I, I do feel pushed in that direction. It could have been that or a uh, a lawyer, I guess, could rant in front of a jury. <laughs> exactly. Every time I see him, I'm like, this man's got the best name in talk radio ever. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, all right. So you have a piece talking about trans, this transgender study at the University of Washington and partner with Seattle Children's Hospital. And I've, I had seen and I'm sure we had all seen this study widely quoted about how great it is to transition children, you know, children who we won't let them decide what to wear to school, but we're going to decide to let them, you know, cut off body parts. Um, you were had a big role in exposing this and getting this corrected for people who haven't seen your piece and haven't seen you t- uh, talk about this or heard you talk about this, tell everybody what happened because this is amazing and it's going to make your blood boil. Yeah, it, it really will. So UW Medicine put out a study by some researchers. It's a large group of researchers, but two in particular, basically looking at a little over 100 transgender patients between the ages of 13 and 20, and they covered them for about a year. And during that time, they were receiving gender-affirming care, which basically, <clears throat> in this case, is defined as taking puberty blockers or doing other things having to do with hormones. And so they looked at all the data that they collected, and it was a lot of surveys about how they felt, in particular with anxiety, depression, and suicide, suicidal thoughts. And they claimed, in first in a press release, but also in some of the subsequent interviews, that gender-affirming care, quote, dramatically reduces depression, and they call it life-saving care. And so, in other words, if you get in the way of this gender-affirming care, you are effectively hurting kids and leading to their deaths. They said specifically that it reduces depression to a point where they said it, it plummeted the rates of depression in these teenagers. The problem is the study doesn't actually say that. The study does not even come close to saying that. At best, you can argue that there was because there was virtually no difference between the kids who had gender-affirming care and the kids who didn't, that it didn't harm them. Like it didn't change anything dramatically in either way. That's a best case scenario. And so after putting this out, about a month later, they started to get some questions from Jesse Single, who is an independent Substack journalist. And subsequently, they received some other questions from other right-leaning organizations, media outlets, the Daily Caller Foundation. I reached out to them. College Fix reached out to them and basically called out the study to the point where the UW communications team, UW Medicine communications team, decided, yeah, we got this wrong. We're going to have to correct this. And so they pretty dramatically corrected it. They took out the whole idea of it dramatically reducing depression depression rates. They, they took that out to say it was basically it mitigated it. The problem is they didn't correct the record proactively, meaning they didn't reach out to the media outlets that basically reported this incorrectly because of their press release. In fact, according to emails that I received, and I've got them available at KTTH.com, they were pretty open about not wanting to correct the record because they received positive news coverage. So in other words, they liked the idea of what they said happened in the study, even though it didn't actually occur, and they thought it it, it fulfilled whatever, pre, for me, a bias that I think that they have. So I was I was reading all of this. I saw the letters. It is a phenomenal piece. I highly suggest you go read it. 
because what a couple things came into my brain and I had made notes as I read this. And one of the things that came into my brain was I'll just go with what you just said. You know, they, 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 they love the positive media coverage and medicine. It seems to me, especially in recent light of COVID has become almost like journalism. Now it doesn't matter if you're right. It just matters if you're first. And to me, that's a big problem. I remember during COVID, there were, uh, there were uh, hospital uh, organizations, and I believe this came from the CDC, and correct me if I'm wrong, but doctors couldn't discuss ivermectin with patients. Doctors couldn't discuss hydroxychloroquine with patients or even offer it as an alternative or else they would be sanctioned. What does, I mean, this to me is a very, very scary time in medicine in this country when we're not following the science, we're just doing what to make, I don't know, what's popular. I, I don't even know what it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that, unfortunately, medicine has become politicized. And that if you don't take a certain position, particularly when it comes to gender identity, you are seen as a bigot. And so regardless of what the data might say, you've got folks who feel either pressured or they don't mind that they are basically making up or at least overstating if it gets to their end goal, which in this case is to promote gender-affirming care. I, I look at a story like this, and I, I will concede, just because I'm a nice person, that everyone <laughs> has the best of intentions, meaning they've justified what they did because they truly believe in their heart, despite what the data says, that gender-affirming care is the right move. So I don't think there's nefarious intent. However, I don't think that matters because lives are at stake here. When you tell a kid who's already dealing with severe depression, and in this particular study, they looked at kids who had severe depression, you tell them hey, gender-affirming care is going to cause your rate of depression to plummet. And they go through with it, and nothing changes. Or right. if they have some changes, it's pretty minimal. Well, what do you think is going to happen to that kid who's already dealing with depression and have had suicidal thoughts? You've now basically promised them that they're going to feel better, and then they don't. And I think that that is a real-world consequence of moves like this. And so I... I am disgusted with UW Medicine and their decision to opt out of being proactive. And I'm disgusted with the media outlets that still have not corrected the record. There's a local outlet here that we've been harping on a lot because they, we, it's King 5 News. We call them Woke 5 News because they're all about the hardcore progressive framing of every single news story. They know that this story is wrong in a region that is very, very, very progressive. And I imagine because Seattle Children's Hospital is here and they were part of this study, you're going to have some uh, potential patients or their families reading that story, and they're going to get the wrong impression of what that study said, and they just will not take that down or make a correction. Yeah, I, 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 you mentioned something else. You just said, you know, that's because people feel that this is the right thing. And that we, to, in my brain, as I look at everything, this country has become a country where we just throw facts and the ability to think through a problem and we've thrown that out the window and you just do whatever feels good honey it's okay i realize mm -hmm. you're eight years old but sure you want a hysterectomy we'll, we'll start giving you the drugs because that's how you feel feelings are suddenly facts and it's not just in this part of our lives and you can't the problem with this is you cannot 
argue someone's feelings. And I, we just had this conversation last hour with people who truly believe that you're, they're going to die if they're in the room with someone who isn't vaccinated from COVID. Even if that person doesn't have COVID right now, even if that person, you know, uh, has had COVID and has natural immunity, it doesn't matter if you are not vaccinated, they're going to die. And that's what they feel is right. I don't know how we turn the clock back on this because so many people now believe and go through life that if I feel that it's right, then it is. You can't run a country that way. You can't. And so the only way that you're truly good, this was a cultural shift, right? The, the culture shifted and it's very difficult to impact culture. This was a long time coming. This didn't just happen over the course of the last few years. I, I certainly think because Trump broke everyone that it made it happen a little bit quicker, but we were headed in this direction for a while. And that means it's going to take a very long time to get close to where we used to be. And it's just the pendulum has swung too far. Whenever you're looking at any kind of social debate, there is extremes on either side. And generally speaking, we find ourselves on one side, just not closer more to the middle than we are to the extreme. And we just got to get closer to the middle. And I just don't see that happening under the current leadership because it's so politicized, because we basically give in, at least on the left, they give in to the folks who think their feelings are somehow fact. And unless they're willing to push back in their own party, the only way you're going to make any change is just changing who's in charge. And obviously we've got an election coming up and we could start that very quickly. But I just caution people, let's say there's that red wave, which I don't think is going to happen, but I do think that the Republicans are going to win power, at least in the House. That's not going to change much. That gets that, That's a baby step in the right direction. So this is sustained activism on our part because that's how we got here to begin with was sustained activism on the left. Right. And they're very good at it. Republicans are terrible at it. Republicans are terrible at seeing where Democrats tell you where they're going with stuff and Mm -hmm. they go there and then Republicans are somehow shocked that we're there. Like, how did you not see this? Because I saw it coming. I'm sure a lot of people saw it. You saw it coming. How did they not see it it coming uh, is is amazing to me. Let me take this to the next step because we said, well, it's going to, you know, it's going to be a while before this turns around. And I think what happens and you've seen some of it in Europe where there are people who transitioned as teenagers. They were allowed to do that, and their parents allowed them to do that. And now they're adults, and they're not happy. They're 10 years down the road, and um, you know she became a boy, but she suddenly realized she's really a girl and wants to have a baby and can't. So they're suing the physicians. If mommy and daddy or it and they bring you to the doctor and say, I want this done for my child... How is it that the physician winds up being sued? And is that where this is all finally going to turn around when these kids get to be older? Yeah, I mean, here's the I wish there was an easy answer to this. But let's be honest, we live in some parts of the country where if a doctor says no to performing some kind of surgery or or, or offering gender affirming care, that they might be found in violation of some anti-discrimination ordinance on the local level. So I I don't know what the answer is to that because I understand why some doctors might feel pressured or forced into taking a position that they shouldn't as far as treating a patient. I would hope that every doctor who thinks that going in that direction is wrong and, and will hurt 
the person would say no, but you know they're also human, and we've seen just in the world of cancel culture, if you don't take certain positions, that you will in fact be canceled. And so a lot of people on a variety of issues have either said nothing because they feared being called out or just decided to go with the progressive in crowd at the moment on whatever issue happens to be in the zeitgeist at that moment. So it is it is super super difficult. I, I suppose I would in general support going after doctors legally for making the wrong decision if you can prove that it was knowingly wrong. I just don't know how you would be able to, to, to prove that in court. I think ultimately we have to just say either via sort of the political route of what we're not going to allow kids to engage in. We already do that now with cigarettes. We do that now with voting. We do that with gun ownership. It's funny here in Washington state, there's a movement to effectively push the age where we would consider serious uh, penalties in, in a courtroom for teenagers or adults to like in their mid-20s because everyone's saying, well, the brains don't fully form until then. Okay, then why is it that here in Washington at the age of 13, you can start gender reassignment pr surgery process without even informing your parents? Exactly. But, but, but see, you're challenging their feelings. Uh, I also think that down, I also question down the road and this is that, that we may see some uh, problems with um, cancer because, you know, the pill, obviously that was always a problem. You always said you always got to be careful if you're on the pill, you know, for, and you have to be checked, you're not getting cancer and menopause. They won't give women a lot of times hormone replacement therapy because they're afraid of cancer, but yet we're giving it to children. So it doesn't make sense. Maybe different hormone replacement, but it's still hormones. Uh, one thing I just found a story and I'm sure you have seen it, but this is how crazy this is for people who haven't seen this. There's a 10 year old child who uh, is a boy, but said at the, he told his parents at the age of two that he was a, girl so they began to socially transition him at the age of two and he presented himself as a girl at the age of four his name was legally changed to noel when he was seven he's modeled as a girl at new york fashion week his his parents are divorced his mom uses feminine pronouns in reference to her son um, and she said, I should have known earlier, she hated anything masculine. So I brought her to a gender clinic and she was told by professionals that he was really a girl. Now the child lives with his biological mother and her partner who are both transgendered. Mom's a social justice activist. If you go into this story, your head spins because of the boxes that are checked because mom is on hormone replacement therapy, recently had a cosmetic mastectomy. Uh, she and her partner are females who identify as trans masculine. Mom is a deaf gay transgender person with a background in LGBTQIA plus advocacy. Who wants to be around these people? This I read this, this, this whole story about this poor child, Noella M McMayer, and I thought, oh my, why would we not? To, to me, this seems like an abusive household. This child doesn't know any better. No wonder this child says that they're going to, you know, they, they're, a, they're a boy or a girl and not a boy, and they're going to transition this kid, give this kid surgery at 16. Convincing a child that he or she is not their birth gender is an example of why this whole movement is so dangerous. You can very easily confuse children. It's not to say that this kid doesn't grow up and maybe is right. gay. I, I have no clue, right? But this is a 
environmental decision. They are pushing this on their kids. I find it just very difficult to believe that you've got two transgender parents, and it just so happens that the kid at the age of two is also knowingly transgender. Transgender. Yeah, just, Jason, we're going to we're gonna have to leave it at that. We're going to have to break there. Uh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad I finally got to speak with you because I love the work that you do. Jason Rance, host of the Jason Rance Show on KTTH 770 AM, 94.5 FM in Seattle and Tacoma. Thank you so much. Visit the webpage and check out his latest piece on uh, UW. Fantastic. Have a great day, Jason. Thank you. You as well. 833-456-1300 is my number. If you want to chime in, your call's coming up on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. I'm Mary Walter in for Guy Benson. Uh, don't forget on Thursdays, 7.15 on YouTube and Getter, I do have a podcast if you would like to join me. Uh, just If you're on YouTube, just look for Mary Walter Radio. If you search that, it comes right up. You can also look at past episodes if you like, but every Thursday at 7.15. And then also... Um, you can find me on Gitter if you just look for Mary Walter and it streams on Gitter as well. You can look at some old episodes there uh, too as well. Coming up, we're going to be joined by Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. Uh, he's Fox News contributor and he's the former national security advisor to the vice president, Vice President Pence. A lot of news. There's a lot going on with Taiwan. There's a lot going on with the Solomon Islands. You may have heard about them and said, wait a minute. And I kind of knew they were in Pacific, but I found out where. Uh, uh, also, Iran and Iraq. There's a lot going on around the world, and it's kind of hard to keep track of. So he is going to straighten it all out for us and tell us what's important and what we need to know about all those things and how all of this affects us. So that's coming up next on The Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Guy Benson today. Let's talk about the world, shall we? With Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. He's retired. He's a Fox News contributor, former National Security Advisor to the Vice President Pence, former Chief of Staff of National Security Council in the Trump administration, and he is the author of War by Other Means, a general in the Trump White House. Sir, thank you for joining me here on The Guy Benson Show. It's great to have you. Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you. So there is just so much going on right now. I I don't know if you saw, but it is now being reported that um, Russian news reports a former Soviet president, Mikhail Gorbachev, has died. That's just in. I don't know if you if you had a chance to see that. Um, First, you know, it's weird. I haven't really thought about him because to me, he was like the Reagan era. That's who he was. And, you know, Reagan's gone. And um, what does this does this mean anything? Does this have any significance as far as the world goes right now? You know, it's funny. Well, I was in a meeting, so the first I heard about it was when you just said it. But here's kind of what's kind of be interesting because Putin blames Gorbachev for basically giving up the Soviet Union for basically, you know, he kind of walked away from it. So there's going to be a lot of pushback. I don't think Putin's going to be one of those guys who's saying, oh, this is really too bad, even though he's a former Soviet leader. 
because I think he blames him for the, the disestablishment of, of the Soviet. So, it's, it, and I think it'll have to play itself out a little bit. You know, and unfortunately, he's one of the old guard. Mm-hmm. And what I mean, one of the old guard, he's he's the Reagan era kind of guy, uh, and he's kind of been left in the dust in the sense that the new Russia is not the Russia he remembers. I think if anything comes out of this, um, you know, Gorbachev believes he was told that the that after East Germany reunited with West Germany, that NATO would not expand any more to the east. I think he was told that by Jim Baker, mm-hmm. who at that time was the Secretary of State, and uh, he believes to this day, and I think Putin does as well, until you know he passed away, that the United States kind of lied to the Soviets and then the Russians uh, about eastward expansion of NATO. So there may be your connection if you even talk about it. Yeah. Now, do, do we know that they were told that? Because we heard that with the Ukraine thing that, you know, Putin was is because it was upset at the NATO expansion, getting closer to Russia. And that is was one of his reasons for going in to Ukraine, because he wanted more of a perimeter between him and the excuse me, the NATO nations. Do we know that there's truth to that? Or is this maybe just something that the the Russians are spinning? No, Putin has been very clear on that. Putin does believe there's an existential threat of the expansion of NATO. I mean, the guy, I hate to say it, the guy's like he's paranoid. And he actually believes, and he said this repeatedly, he said at the Munich Security Conference a couple of years ago about the threat to to, the, to Russia – from Ukraine, you know, and there there was ways probably back then we could have finessed the deal. We meaning the West, we could have finessed it. We could have made it sort of like, okay, if you, Ukraine can be like Finland at the time, where it's aligned to the West, supports with the West, is in the EU, but it's not part of NATO. Of course, that, that's changed a lot. But Putin really sees this as egregious. You know, most of us here on the West don't don't really believe that. But look, here's something I think everybody forgets, and you need to do it, especially when you get into national security issues. We have a tendency, we as Americans, and by the way, all, I think all nations do it the same way. We tend to look through the world through our own lens, from our prism, instead of turning the, it over and saying, okay, what are they thinking about? What are they thinking through on what's going to happen? And you get in a lot of trouble by not doing it, because I think you have to do that. And I used to remind people when we were in the Trump White House, you have to think about – you may not agree with it, which is fine, but you have to think of what the other side is going to say or what the other side is going to do, because it's not a, a single reaction. It's a binary reaction. If you do something, your opponent is going to do something as well, and you must calculate and be ready to go when that occurs. And I don't think we did that with, with Ukraine, and we did that with Putin at all. And now that, you know, truly that horse is out of the barn. Uh, there's not much we can do about it, but that's the way Putin thinks, whether you like it or not. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I didn't plan on asking you uh, about the Trump White House, but there's definitely a difference in the world now. When, when President Trump came in, you know, you notice Kim Jong-un stopped shooting rockets at Japan and the rest of the world and threatening the United States. And there seemed to be you didn't have uh, Putin acting up the way he did under, for instance, under Obama. Right. So things were different. Is Trump took a lot of flack and a lot of criticism for, quote unquote, being mean. And, and he was a bully yeah. with the way he spoke. But was that also some of the key to the way he handled these countries? And they kind of did they respect that? No, I, I look, absolutely. 
Absolutely, Mary. That's one of the things I've always said. I said, I kind of get the mean tweets. You don't like the personality. But, but he put them on edge. He put them on their back back foot. You know, there's an old saying in the military that the personality of the general is indispensable uh, because he's head of all, including the Army. And, and, and Trump was the same way, where he kind of let it out there. He understood that words had meaning. He knew it when he was saying stuff. But he wanted to have an edge with with a foreign leader. And I sat through when he was with Putin. I sat through 18 different phone calls with the president on a drop line, you know, where you actually sit there and listen with the president. You don't say a word, but you you know you hear what's going on. I understand how he used to talk to him, and it was very clear, very demanding. And everybody kind of understood where he's coming from, to a degree. And what I mean to a degree, he was also left questions in their mind. How is he going to really react when when something you know goes bad that he doesn't like? And when we did those attacks into Syria after the Syrian nerve gas or when we killed Soleimani or when we killed Baghdadi, that put a lot of foreign leaders on notice that, look, you can push the Americans so far, but after a while they're going to push back and hit you pretty hard. And that uh, there's an advantage to that, of the advantage of the unknown, and that's what Trump had. Biden doesn't have that. Trump did have it, and that goes back to the mean tweets and the things he said that were hard. But he knew exactly what he was doing mm-hmm. every time I was in there. He knew, you know, he knew that words meant something. So I, you know, I sort of like to tell people today, well, you know, when you go up there and fill your tank of, you know, your car with a tank of gas, you'd say, "Gee, I wish I had my mean tweets back." But it's a lot easier. Or if you go to a grocery store, it's the same way. So I don't have a problem with the way he, he handled it because I, there was one thing mm-hmm. I can guarantee about Donald J. Trump. He was pro-American all of the way. It was always designed to support America. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Chad Pergram uh, tweeted out uh, just after 11 a.m. that Fox has confirmed that the Biden administration intends to send a formal request to Capitol Hill asking lawmakers to approve $1.1 billion in arms to Taiwan. Fox confirms this involves air-to-air missiles and weapons to be used at sea. What is this about? Well, I think part of that is, is you know, People, uh, you know, let's go back in history just a bit. You know, we used to have until 1976 a mutual defense treaty with with Taiwan, and then Jimmy Carter abrogated that. And as a result of that, Congress kind of mad, and they put it through the what's called the Taiwan Relations Act, and that's where we said we're going to give them defensive arms. So we're trying to give, make them. I think Newt Gingrich coined the term, give them a porcupine defense, meaning giving them a lot of this equipment that they can defend themselves, not offensive weapons at all. Because <laughs> I don't think uh, Taiwan is going to invade China, but it's to defend their island from any type of assault, primarily from the coastline of China across the 100-mile Taiwan Strait uh, into Taiwan. And it's just a, it's a preventative measure out there. Now, I've got to be very candid with you, Mary. It's, you can give them all the arms they want, but if, if China believes that there's not will in the West – to help defend mm-hmm. Taiwan, support Taiwan, it means nothing right. because the Chinese go, okay, we don't really care because they're, you know, mass has a quality all of its own, meaning numbers, and the Chinese definitely have numbers. You know, people don't really realize, you know, they've got the largest navy in the world today. They've got the third largest army in the world today. They've got some of the most advanced weapon systems in the world. If they want to pay the price. They will. They can take Taiwan, but they've got to be willing to pay the price to do that. So what you have to do is you have to create uncertainty in the minds of the Chinese leaders, and that's up to Biden and the rest of the alliances out there to make sure the Chinese think very hard, you know, before they go in, if what they want to do. And I'd remind everybody also that, 
Taiwan was really not part of China from the 1870s. It wasn't until 1945, at the end of World War II, that uh, when the Japanese lost the war, that Taiwan was returned to China. But it it wasn't returned to the communist Chinese. It was returned to the nationalist Chinese. But they hadn't controlled that that country for almost uh, 80 years. So this is one. They're just trying to look at Taiwan, meaning the Chinese, as something that they don't want, like a thorn in their side. They don't want this unsinkable aircraft carrier sitting right off their coast. Look what they've just done when they look at the, the relations in the in in the Pacific region. You know, they they've re, they've set up a military um, uh, agreement with the Solomon Islands. The Solomon mm-hmm. Islands are about 700 miles to the east of Taiwan. It's closer to Australia than it is to to Taiwan. But they keep pushing out because they want this arc of security that will push us out, be it the South China Sea or be it the Solomon Islands. So this is something that we have to think about hard and make a decision as Americans. You know, is China a competitor or are they an adversary? And if they're an adversary, we have to treat them a little bit differently than they were if they're superiorly a competitor. Yeah, you br- you brought up the Sol- the Solomon Islands where I was gonna we were going to talk about that because we had uh, some Coast Guard cutters that were some Navy ships that were denied port. They weren't allowed to to dock in port at the Solomon Al- Islands, and there was seems to be some confusion as to whether they should have been given notice, etc. So, is, are the Chinese behind this, or is this truly the Solomon Islands decision to rearrange, or they're gonna they're gonna rework their guidelines apparently, or some kind of bureaucratic verbiage? You know, Mary, I think it's purely the Chinese because they've got a Chinese agreement with China, military agreement to put bases there. Here's the real rub, and the thing that really got me is that it was the Oliver Harry. It was a a Coast Guard cutter on an anti-piracy mission uh, in that part of the world. And where they wanted to go to and dock and base was out of Guadalcanal. Guadalcanal, the Solomon Islands, was the site of one of the most ferocious mm-hmm. battles the United States Marine Corps fought against the Japanese in 1943. It's legendary. It's yeah. historic in the Marine Corps. And here they would not allow a U.S. Coast Guard uh, vessel to dock at Guadalcanal in the Solomon Islands. And I'm just thinking, you have got to be kidding me. If that's not the rub of the day, I don't know what is. But it's, it's purely a, a work with China. So I don't I have a lot of questions and not a lot of time left with you. Uh, well, going just going back to uh, what China is doing in in the Pacific Ocean and how they're they're pushing out and they're pushing out and you see Russia pushing into Ukraine to try to get their perimeter. They want more of a barrier. Is part of this though to get the United States to just bleed its military and its military finances dry because we are putting so much money into Ukraine, into Taiwan, into all these other places, but we're not fortifying our own military. Is that part of what they're doing? Are they smarter than than we see? No, let me reverse it, Mary. I think we're dumber than than we see. Okay. What I mean by that is, you know, they're not necessarily smart about it. Look, you bring up an incredibly important point. Let's just use Ukraine and the, the money that we're pouring into Ukraine. There's a great economic forum called the Kiel Economic Forum out of Kiel, Germany. And it looked at the 40 nations providing economic, humanitarian, and military support to Ukraine. The United States is one of those 40. We are providing two-thirds 
of all support monetarily and militarily to the Ukraine compared to those other 39 nations. And it's just not the EU. We're talking about nations like Japan. We're talking nations like England and France. So my point is, look, these other nations have got to step up. NATO's got to step up. These nations that are in Europe, this is a European issue. And we shouldn't be, and the American people shouldn't be holding the bag of constantly providing this this equipment when these other nations aren't putting in as much, you know, their, their nickel in the bag as well. They should be doing it. We should be very clear to them. Hey, look, this is a fight in your backyard. You need to pony up as well. It shouldn't be only on the Americans' back. When you look at what we've done in the last six months, we've put in about in the range of $50 billion to $55 billion. If that goes through the course of the year, and by the end of the year, we have given $110 billion of U.S. money to Ukraine, that is that is the same amount that we spent in, Af- in Afghanistan. It's the largest year that we spent money in Afghanistan. Think about that. So we're spending money at the same rate that we are, we spent money in, in Afghanistan. And, and I, it, this is coming out of the U.S. taxpayers. We don't have a special IG there that we had in Afghanistan that was tracking where all the money was going to and where all the equipment was going to. And we need to do that. And we haven't done that, and it's not fair to the American people to be bankrolling this. And this administration just throws money at stuff. I don't care if it's students. I don't care if it's Ukraine. And they just throw it out there and then hope everybody's not looking. But I think somebody needs to look hard at this and what the other nations are doing. And I think what the Russians are doing, they're playing the long game. They're saying they're they're pushing hard on Europe. They're using energy as a weapon. The Nord Stream 1 pipeline is now down to 20% of liquid natural gas that it's at normal flow. Liquid natural gas is up seven seven uh, times what it cost just about a year ago. So the Russians are playing the long game too. So there's no strategy. My frustration at the end of the day is nobody can tell me what is the strategy or give me the end state in Ukraine. They just can't do it. Right, because there is none. Uh, very quickly before I, before I run out of time here, um, Baghdad, you've got there's a lot of violence going on in Baghdad and Iraq, um, and there, there, you've just more and more people dead all the time. These people are protesting in the green zone, which is the center of their government offices and their embassies, and this is all because Muqtadar al Sadr said that he is stepping down from politics. Is this another revolution happening in Baghdad and Iraq? It, well, it could. I mean, here's the real the real issue when it looks in Muqtada Sadr. Uh, Sadr is actually a, an Iraqi nationalist, uh, and they they won a lot of seats in the the last um, uh, election there. But there's two in a Shiite Shiite based. But there's two factions. There's an Iranian backed faction of Shiites, and there's a nationalistic backed Shiite. Uh, uh, organization. That's Sadr's, and they're in conflict between the two. So you're looking at somebody who's fighting back against the Iranians. By the way, he doesn't push back only on Iranians. Sadr doesn't like Americans either. He just wants it to be pure Iraqi, and the kind of the Sunnis are sitting on the sideline. So what you're looking at is a potential civil war, which one side is supported by Iran, and the other is very, very nationalistic. So I think this could be, this thing could break out even worse than it currently is on the violence, because Sadr has basically said, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, he did, first of all, he didn't run as a candidate, so he couldn't be a ruler. But his 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 group actually won more seats this time than they did in last October than they did the time before of it. And he wants n- new elections now. Uh, they have the largest block in, in their, their mm-hmm. parliament with 73 members, uh, but it's mass confusion there. This is not a good time to be in Iraq. Well, that's for sure. Right. 
Well, we've on that we've got to go, and I have so many unanswered questions. <laughs> uh, but Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, thank you for joining me, and enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks, and thanks, Mary. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Wow, that was that was uh, so interesting. Uh, coming up, we're going to to talk about uh, the president. He has a speech that's coming up, and I want to talk to you about uh, MAGA Republicans and the tone that the president is um, setting out there and whether it brings us together. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. All right, coming up on The Guy Benson Show, we're going to talk about some changes that are happening at the Secret Service and the FBI, some personnel changes. Also, um, do you remember that uh, bail relief fund that our vice president touted? Yeah, that didn't work out so well. I'll tell you what happened. And also, some polls coming out about President Trump and uh, Mitch McConnell with his take on the midterms. We're going to talk about all of that with Todd Pyro from Fox and Friends First. You know him. You love him. He's next on The Guy Benson Show. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. All right, I'm, I'm just checking to see if you're paying attention. I am not Guy Benson. <laughs> I'm Mary Walter, sitting in for Guy Benson. Yes, here on the Guy Benson Show. Joining us now, Todd Pyro. He serves as co-host of Fox and Friends First. You see him 4 to 6 a.m. Eastern Time next to Carly Shimkus. And you see him all over the channel as well. Todd, I am so excited to welcome you to the show. Great to be able to meet you. Hi. Likewise. Hi. And I cheated. You know, I I wanted to look up like you and I were going on a date. Uh, So I did a (laughs) quick little look look up on your bio. And I see that you're from the great state of... New Jersey. Yes. Two Jersey gals just chatting on the radio. Yeah, well, see, I do refer to it now as the People's Socialist Republic of New Jersey. Sure, understood. With its uh, its chairman, Phil Murphy? Yes, yes. Well, I I prefer to uh, refer to him as our dear leader. Right, sure, understood. (laughs) As a sign of, you know, as a sign of respect to him. Understood. Yeah, man, it's nice being rich when you can make decisions that you know affect everybody else, and you don't have to deal with the consequences. It must be nice, Mary. Yeah. So a little, a little thing about New Jersey that people don't understand, and this made me think of him. And exactly what you just said is, we do have our dear leader Phil Murphy, who is incredibly wealthy, and of course doesn't do anything that the rest of us do, and so he makes laws about how we have to do those things. So I had to run into the grocery store with my husband to pick up one thing. One thing. And we said, oh, while we're here, we're having some company on Labor Day weekend. And I, I wanted to pick up some things for dessert. I said, well, I'm going to make dessert. So I'm going to, I need to do all these things. So we had a little cart. We get up to the checkout and realize we don't have a bag. Now oh. in New Jersey, you can't get a bag anymore. You have to bring your own bags or you can buy a bag, which I, I don't know about you, but I refuse to do. So we have to walk out, uh, and you see this all the time in New Jersey now. You see people walking out of, uh, and it's the same thing in, in, in department stores everywhere. 
with their arms just full of things, juggling all vegetables, and there's things flying all over the place. The two of us just trying to juggle it all out to the car, and then you have to put it like on the hood so that you can open the trunk. <laughs> Just throw this stuff in. It's ridiculous. And I said, you know why this happens? Because Phil Murphy doesn't do his own grocery shopping. He has no idea what the struggle is like. And I live in Connecticut now, and we have experienced the same bagless world for years now. So I've been used to it. So you're saying, well, Todd, why are you so fired up about this yourself? Well, let me explain. Because my parents still live in Jersey, and I have two kids under two, which means a lot of diapers, which means I need disposable plastic bags. And for years, my parents were funneling this cross-state line bag racket to me. <laughs> Basically, they'd go to the store, they'd buy you know a fair amount of groceries, and then they take a bunch of extra plastic bags from ShopRite. So when I would go down there to the shore or for Christmas or something like that, or they came up to visit the grandkids, I would have bags of bags, which I could then utilize for myself. Well, the bag supply starting to run a little bit low now that New Jersey just instituted this new bag rule. So, you know, it's affecting us all, Mary Walter. It's affecting it, us all. It truly is. And it's hilarious because we do hoard bags. Like if a neighbor gives us something, I'm like, keep the bag, keep the bag. Don't give the bag right. back. It's gold. <laughs> it is. It truly is. Um, all right. So let, let's talk. Let's, let's talk a little bit. You know, and by the way, because of that admission, you know, you're going to have a raid on your home by the FBI, right? Of course, of course. They're coming from my bags. That's right, because you're trafficking. You're you're trafficking. Uh, There's a new poll out that uh, is done by McLaughlin and Associates and says that Trump now leads Joe Biden by four points in a potential 2024 presidential matchup. And they asked if it were held today, which one of the following best describes how you would vote in the general election between Trump and Joe Biden? Who would for whom would you vote? Here's the thing. Trump comes out 45 to um excuse me, 49 to Biden's 45. What is wrong with this country that it's only by four points? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a question. And, and look, we do have to take this poll like we do all polls with a grain of salt. You have to look at the pollster. This is a very pro-Trump pollster. We've had McLaughlin boys on our show multiple times. Great guys, Giants fans. Uh, again, continuing the Jersey theme here. Um, but, you know, it's definitely a pro-Trump poll. But that said... I find that more often than not, even among Democrats, because let's face it, I live in a Democrat state, you live in a Democratic state, people are, uh, nobody is so like, oh, this Biden guy, he's really crushing it. You know, we love Biden, Biden in 2024. So to your point, who are those 45% of people who, who are saying, you know, we need four more years of this? And I love the people who are undecided. I'm like, Really? Right. <laughs> what are you waiting for? You know, if we've seen one thing, a better offer isn't coming around the corner. Like, you know who the players are now. It's not like Jesus is going to throw his hat in the ring come uh, the primaries next year. He's not coming back for this, you know? But you know what? I think there are some people that are hoping that it's DeSantis over Trump. Yeah, and I understand that. I mean, look, we do a lot of stuff with Florida people, and – you know, if you listen to the language of Florida people, we do we interview guests. There's a there's a level of worship that comes out among the Florida guests that you don't hear when we interview uh, people that have other governors. You know, I, I rarely heard when we interview somebody from Maryland, somebody saying like, "And let me tell you something, that Larry Hogan, oh, you know, 
he is he is next level. We think he's the greatest thing ever. Whereas when you interview the Florida people, they say, and we must give credit to Governor DeSantis because without him, fill in the blank on the various topics because you know DeSantis is involved in a lot of topics. So I think there is definite truth to that. Um, you go to talk to people from other states. You talk to people from Jersey, you know, because you have a lot of people from the tri-state area who moved down to Florida. Many of them are like, oh, you know, I really wish we could have a guy like Ron DeSantis. I could see him run in the country someday. And if you say that over and over again, that really fills up the minds of the populace. At some point, it takes over. And that's how Trump won, obviously, in 2016. He won the primaries to get to that point. Well, that, that sort of groundswell is starting with DeSantis, and DeSantis continues to feed it by doing things that I don't want to say just the Republican base love. I think people who are logical love it and who are tired of the crap, excuse my language, that is happening in our world right now. And it's one of those things, yeah, I think these people loved Trump. But Trump's not in a position – he's not in charge of anything right now. Ron DeSantis is, and even though it's a state and not a country at this point, they look at it and say, wow, I wish I could live in a place like that. Wouldn't it be great if Florida became the model for America? And that's ultimately what's happening, whereas you don't see that groundswell with a Doug Ducey in Arizona. You don't see that with a Mike DeWine right. in Ohio. All, all states where, you know, they're run by Republicans, but, you know, uh, this is not necessarily a groundswell of support for those guys, you know? Right, ex- exactly. Now, um, you know, there, and this is what this poll, though, does seem to be an outlier that other polls are showing Biden ahead. Uh, polls, I think I, we learned to throw out many years ago because look what happened in 2016 when everybody said that Hillary Clinton was going to win in a landslide. So, so I think we kind of throw out polls to a certain extent. Um, I want to switch over to Mitch McConnell because Mitch McConnell uh, has now come out and said that he has great confidence in Dr. Oz being able to beat John Fetterman uh, in that Senate race in the state of Pennsylvania. What is amazing to me is, is that um, first of all, he had to be pushed to say that. Dr. Oz is not the greatest candidate, but I don't think it's Dr. Oz's fault. He should not be in the position he's in in the polls. This shouldn't even be a battle. But the national GOP doesn't seem to support these guys until they win, and then they're going for re-election. Then they'll support them. But how in God's name is Dr. Oz trailing or close to uh, Fetterman in this race? Because Fetterman's a disaster two-part answer here. One on the McConnell. I'm sorry, Mitch, what else do you have to do? Is there something better going on right now that you need to uh, lend your attention and money to? To your point, Mary, like you're not in the majority. It's pretty easy to just complain about the party that's in the majority. That's just a bunch of press releases and a bunch of press conferences. That doesn't take take work. So where are you earning your medal? Well, you're earning your medal behind the scenes trying to prop up your candidates to make sure that you win back the Senate. I'm starting to reach a point. I don't even know if this guy wants to win back the Senate. I wonder if he thinks, you know, it's much easier just to be in the minority and uh, we get to complain about stuff and we don't have to govern. And, you know, at this stage of my life, this is just easier. I mean, come on. If you are a Republican who has been sold this, I don't want to say bill of goods, but sold this promise that, hey, we're going to turn things around and we're going to improve this country after what Joe Biden did to it. And you see these actions of Mitch McConnell. You're thinking to yourself, is there really this this deep state that has gone, you know, this high, you know, with with people who are kind of they're all part of this game and they're going to play it. Mitch is going to like fame that he doesn't like 
side. But at the end of the day, Mitch just likes being in the minority. I mean, to your point, do something. Get behind these candidates. Let's go. Uh, as for the overall race, I mean, I look at Fetterman. And I don't mean to disparage the guy uh, on, the, on the health issues, but it's clear he is not fully well. Yes, he could become fully well by the time he would eventually take a term. But, you know, that's, it's a tough break. It's tough to watch him talk. But again, it's tough to watch Biden talk and the nation elected him knowing full well that he was cognitively impaired. So as for the race, what I can't understand, and maybe this makes me, I don't want to say sexist, but you know, daytime TV caters to a female stay-at-home mom, right? Yeah. Why is Dr. Oz, who basically did a show that was geared toward that demo, failing so miserably with that demographic? That's what I can't understand. He should be crushing that, and he should be winning this on name recognition alone, yet it's not happening. So that leads me to believe this is a problem from the the Republican establishment down, not doing what you said they need to do, what I said they need to do. And it's it's a head-scratcher. Now, uh, I'm seeing this on uh, social media right now. Chuck Colesto is and others are reporting not parody, breaking report. Joe Biden has officially filed to run for reelection in 2024. Uh, So there's that that's making the rounds. But also there is a piece on Yahoo, though, that says that uh, the newly filed documents, he's filed documents updating his Biden for president committee, according to the FEC. But according to a source, the newly filed documents are not an announcement of intentions to run for reelection. They told Fox News that the filing is just an update. Uh, due to a member of the committee taking a job within the government, they say this is not a reelection filing, but it is a step towards that, is it not? Yeah, I mean, he he did not not do it. I guess to your point, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose to believe that this is merely paperwork uh, and not that final step. Although to your point, maybe it's a way to nudge more candidates to hang out with him when he goes on the stump because <laughs> you know they're trying to convince those candidates that hey i'm not a lame duck i'm i'm in it I, and my guess is they would do something more forceful than this but um i mean look if this is the best that the democrats have to offer a you know at that point deep into his 80s candidate well you know you get the voter you get the you get the leaders you, you vote for and that's what the country wants. That's what the country's going to get. I say that all the time to my liberal friends when they complain about inflation or something. I'm like, well, you know, 81 million votes. You get the government you vote for, and then they don't right. say anything. I will say You mean that, all your friends in New Jersey, by the way. Yes, yes. Well, no, <laughs> one's, one's, one's in Maryland. Um, but I love the responses on this. The best one so far comes from a woman named Amanda Ray who said, so who's going to tell him? <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's my best one. Uh, let's quickly talk about crime a little bit. I'm sure you reported on the story about what happened in Baltimore on Friday where they're um, filming Lady in the Lake for Apple TV+. Plus. Um, it's a show starring, Nat- starring Natalie Portman. And apparently one, their crew, one of their crew members, was confronted by two men, one of them who had a gun, brandished a gun, in what police are describing as a shooting threat and an extortion attempt Apparently, these are drug dealers, drug gangs in that area that I guess own that part of Baltimore, and they wanted fifty thousand dollars for to be able to continue filming the movie there. 
But the best part of the whole thing to me, and I'm sure you know this, is that Natalie Portman, who's the star, supported defunding the police back in 2020. Yeah, anytime you have supported defunding police, all of you people out there, and I'm sure there are a lot that are listening to the Guy Benson radio show, that's a joke. Um, it's going to come back to bite you. You're going to be in a situation. It's inevitable. It's called fate. It's called irony. It's called life. Um, there's two parts of this story that I am flummoxed by. One, do they not have significant security on a set that can tell the two drug dealers that this extortion attempt is not going to work? I mean, we have security in every way, shape, or form. Like, did they did they skew security for this shoot? Uh, this is ridiculous. This is an Apple production. You have billions upon billions of dollars. You should be able to afford a full army with people who can go tell the drug dealers, hey, this isn't happening. It's not your block anymore. But second, think of the temerity. Where are we in our society where the criminals feel – we always talk about criminals being emboldened. This is the next level of being emboldened, going up to a movie set that is already set up and everything and being like, uh-uh, not here. This is ours. I mean that takes some stones, and the fact that they did that just shows that there are no consequences for crime in America in 2022, and criminals now run the system, and that should scare every American. Even if yeah. you don't live in Baltimore, even if you're not going to Baltimore anytime soon, that is frightening. Yeah. Criminals run the show. Well, you know what? There also is uh, – it is kind of fun, though, to watch someone who said, um, my whole life police have made me feel safe, but that's exactly the center of my white privilege. And uh, now she wants more protection. So I got to tell you, I chuckled, you know, made some popcorn, sat back and said, oh, this is great. I love it. Todd Pyro, I hope I get to speak with you again. It's such a pleasure. So now when I talk back to you on the TV, you'll know it's me. I appreciate that. And when <laughs> I'm going to call you the bag lady. When the bad okay. lady gets mad. <laughs> That's uh, right. You read my emails. <laughs> Todd, thank you so much for joining me. Enjoy your week. You too. Thanks. 833-456-1300. That is my number. We have a lot to talk about coming up on the Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. All right, just some quick news for you. I'm sure you heard. If not, uh, FBI Special Assistant Special Agent in charge Timothy Tebow is no longer with the Bureau. He retired over the weekend. He had apparently been planning that retirement for about a year. Uh, He was named by Senate Judiciary Ranking Member Chuck Grassley in a letter to the FBI Director Christopher Wray and to uh, the Attorney General Merrick Garland. Uh, He whistleblowers alleged a pattern of political bias from high ranking officials, including Thibault. Uh, and uh, during a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing earlier this month, Christopher Ray called the whistleblower's allegations deeply troubling. Also, U.S. Secret Service Assistant Director Tony Ornato left the agency, left the Secret Service yesterday. He left the agency to pursue a career in the private sector. He had been planning that for a while. Um, He has not taken a role with the former president or any of his companies, and he declined to name his new employer. Uh, The January 6th committee was trying to get him to testify. He has met with the panel on two occasions, but his um, testimony has never been revealed publicly, as so many testimonies. And do you remember that Cassidy Hutchinson chick who said Trump grabbed the wheel? Uh, Tony Renato was key in that and said that he denied, he denied saying, denied that uh, that ever happened. And he wanted his testimony made public. All right. 
Got a little bit more coming up here. I'm Mary Walter. Don't go away. There's more of the Guy Benson Show next. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Guy Benson. It's been great doing the show here. Um, just, just a reminder that on Thursdays, I do have a podcast. It's on YouTube and on Getter. If you go to YouTube, just look for Mary Walter Radio. And on Getter, just look for Mary Walter at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be live. And, of course, you can go back and you can watch after, even though it's it's not live. Feel free to do so. Please like the channel. Uh, please subscribe to the channel. Like like the podcast. That would be fantastic. So, um Earlier, we know that uh, President Biden was in Pennsylvania. Uh, He held an event today um, for his Safer America agenda, which is hilarious that the left is suddenly all pro-cop. And we're going to keep our city safe, really? I thought that was all racist. Um, And uh, he was not supposed to be a political speech. This was supposed to be a policy speech, but he couldn't help himself. He attacked Republicans, um, and he started touting the the two Democrats running for positions in Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, who's running for the attorney general. Uh, He is the attorney general. He's running to be the governor. And then John Fetterman, who is the the state's Democrat uh, nominee for Senate, running against Dr. Oz. And he says, Josh Shapiro is a champion for the rule of law as your attorney general. He's going to make one hell of a governor. I really mean it. And he said Fetterman is a man he considers who has a powerful voice. and He's going to make a a great senator. And then he tried to paint himself as a pro-police president. Uh, He says, I've been in public service, you know, 50 years, and I, I opposed I'm opposed to defunding the police. I'm also opposed to defunding the FBI. And I just don't know if people believe this. But then he goes on and says, let me say this to my MAGA Republican friends in Congress. Don't tell me you support law enforcement if you won't condemn what happened on the 6th. Don't tell me. Can't do it. For God's sake, whose side are you on? You're either on this. He talks like he's Ben Franklin, right? Um, You're either on the side of the mob or the side of the police. You can't be a party of law and order and call the people that attacked the police on January 6th patriots. Can't do it. What are we teaching our children? And then um, he called for an assault weapons ban and tell anybody what an assault weapon is. Um, And he said, ask your elected officials if they're going to ban assault weapons. If not, you vote against them. So, um, then he then at the end, he confused uh, the position sought by Fetterman and said he was running for the governor, uh, elect Fetterman to be governor. So, of course, he had to go after Republicans. Um, there's something else he did. So well, one of the questions I want to ask you is, you know, the president has another speech coming up. Do you think Joe Biden can refrain from demonizing Republicans? I mean, do you think he can do it? And I also want to know, is this dangerous, what is happening, what we're hearing from the left regarding Republicans and how they're talking about Republicans? 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300 is my number. Because I think that the rhetoric from the left has become more and more demonizing. You know, they say Trump, 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 you know, instituted, instigated the riot at, at the Capitol. It's his fault. He should be held accountable. But yet, you know, um, we don't have um, Chuck Schumer being held accountable for the attempt on Brett, Judge Kavanaugh's life. Right. We don't have that. 
It's okay. Their rhetoric can be very violent. Their rhetoric can be more um, urging of violence. Their rhetoric can be more demonizing and it's okay. You know, they call us Nazis. I, I When I get into conversation with someone who's liberal, I'm like, all right, look, I know I'm a Nazi. I know that I'm deplorable. I know that I'm a misogynist. I'm an Islamophobe. I'm anti-gay. And now I can say that I'm a semi-fascist as well. Oh, and I'm ultra MAGA while we're at it. Now, now that we got all that out of the way, can we talk about the actual facts and about the actual uh, subject? 833-456-1300. Now, today, at that same speech that we were just discussing, I want you to hear, because this is blowing up all over social media, listen to what your president said. He just rambles in this speech that he gave to me today. My deceased son, Bo, he was the attorney general of the state of Delaware. And what he used to do is go down in the east side, the, what called the bucket, Highest crime rate in the country. There's a place where I used to, I was the only white guy that worked as a lifeguard down in that area, on the east side. And you know where the, you can always tell where the best basketball in the state is and the best basketball in the city is. It's where everybody shows up. Yeah, just a little subtle racism from old Joe. Yeah, you know, because cause it's the black people who play, play the basketball. It, the whole thing, I was the only white kid who went down there, but you can always tell where the best basketball is. Really, Joe? How do you tell where the best basketball is? You know, and I mean, blatant racism has come from this man. And for whatever reason, the the black community still votes for him. I I don't understand why, because they would not tolerate the same words coming out of the mouth of a Republican. If Trump had said something like that, they would be screaming. They would never vote for him. He would be um, he would be a horrible person. And I want to I just wish he would stop bringing up his son. I can't imagine what it's like to be a parent to lose a child, but I'm really not feeling sorry for him anymore. That, that's really starting to weigh because he trots out his, my dead son, Bo, my deceased son, Bo, all the time. He's using his son for political gain. It just seems so unseemly to me. Like, it's just so tawdry. I get in certain situations you can. You can empathize. He can empathize with with parents who have lost a child, uh, parents who have lost a a child serving in in for this country, right? This is something he could have done a year ago at Dover Air Force Base instead of just looking at his watch. And he did trot out Bo, but some of the people who were there said all he did was talk about his son. He didn't talk about my son who was just killed, who just came home in a flag-draped coffin. So every time he does that, I cringe a little like, oh, why? Why is he trotting Bo out yet again? I I don't know. I just find it very, very, very uh, uncomfortable. 833-456-1300. So Thursday, he's going to be in Philadelphia, so still in Pennsylvania, uh, for a primetime address. So I assume this means it's going to be on you know, on television, you're going to be able to see it everywhere, or you can look at it as you will not be able to escape from it anywhere. Uh, It's a primetime address. He's going to uh, argue that America's democracy remains under attack, and he's going to highlight who's fighting to protect the nation's freedoms. So you know what this means? This means that what he's going to do is he's going to demonize and attack Republicans yet again. This is the man, though, who told us he was going to bring us together. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm an alarmist. But I think the rhetoric needs to stop. And unfortunately, we don't, 
we we only say that we only take it seriously when somebody gets hurt, when something bad happens, right? And I, I just think the constant demonization of half this country and what happens, people will cancel you. You you your bank will tell you you can't bake with them anymore because you're ultra MAGA or whatever whatever your sin was. All the institutions in this country come down on you at once. And it's very authoritarian, and I, I also find it very scary. Now, I don't not say my tin. Well, yeah, my tinfoil hat's kind of on. It may not be polished yet, but it, yeah, my tinfoil hat's kind of on. And and I see where we're heading, and I think it's very ominous. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Eight three three four five six thirteen hundred. He's going to speak at Philadelphia's Independence National Historical Park, where the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were debated and signed. Um, he's going to speak about how the core values of this nation, according to a White House official telling Fox News, he will speak about how the core values of this nation are standing in the world. Our democracy are at stake. He will talk about the progress we've made as a nation to protect our democracy, but how our rights and freedoms are still under attack. And he's going to make clear who's fighting for those rights, fighting for those freedoms and fighting for our democracy. See, here's the thing. The right is going there. They demonize everything. It's all scare tactics. Biden told Democratic donors at a gathering in Maryland, he said, what we're seeing now is either the beginning or the death knell of an extreme MAGA philosophy. It's not just Trump. It's the entire philosophy that underpins the I'm going to say something. It's like semi-fascism. So it's not just Trump, but it's the MAGA philosophy, which means you. It means you. So if if you support Trump, if you support America first, if you support things that are as nefarious as voter ID, if you support having a border, you're part of that MAGA philosophy, that extreme MAGA philosophy, and you are a semi-fascist. Now, it's like, you're a Nazi, I can punch you. We saw that during the summer of love in 2020, right? Well, that person, you saw young people who absolutely believe that if they think someone's a Nazi, they have the right to punch that person in the face and silence them or do whatever they have to, to silence them because they're doing God's work. It's moving past that now. Now you have the president calling anyone who disagrees with him or the party are now semi-fascist. It's another step closer to a preferred class, which I think we're there, especially when it comes to the justice system. But now it's going to be speech. You don't have a right to say that because you're a fascist. So therefore, your ideas are fascist. Anything you say that disagrees with um, with my point of view, the party's point of view, is fascist. Now, this speech on Thursday will be his third stop in Pennsylvania in this week alone. He uh, went to Wilkes-Barre today to highlight his crime fighting and police funding plan. So now after cutting the police funding, now they want to refund everything again. And you know what he's doing? He's on the side of police. Yeah. It's like when they, like with all the jobs that got cut, you know, from, from COVID that wasn't anybody's fault. That was COVID because the government shut down your business. So therefore you lost those people, but you, you get to open up again and hire them back. Biden takes credit for quote unquote, creating those jobs. So they defund the police crime rises. And now they're going to come in and save you because they're the good guys. They're going to save you from the problem that they created. This is what politicians do. And he's going to put $37 billion at the problem. Of course. Um, 
He canceled a trip last month, and uh, he was in Pittsburgh yesterday to mark Labor Day. Total number of trips that Biden has made to Pennsylvania since his inauguration is 16. It's more than any state other than his home state of uh, Delaware and Virginia and Maryland. Although if you listen to him, you would think that he grew up pretty much everywhere because we hear about Scranton, Scranton Joe. And I think he left Scranton when he was like eight years old. Um, so, you know, there, there is that, but you know, he's, he's Scranton Joe. So, um, anyway, I, I just, I, if you want to comment, 833-456-1300 is the number. Would it, would it be interesting if Joe Biden actually gave a press conference and took, um, questions from, from the press? Wouldn't that be fantastic? I, I think that would be something really cool because he hasn't done that in, uh, almost 200 days. Yeah. He talks cars with Joe Leno, but he has not done a TV interview with an American journalist in 200 days because he doesn't want to answer questions and they don't want him answering questions. And our media, our press seems to be just fine with that. They seem to be a okay with that. And, um, you know, it's, it's again, because they're part of the party. They are the mouthpiece for the party. So you don't get answers. They're not going to tell you who's paying for that student loan. They're just not going to do it. 833-456-1300. Mary Walter on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Mary Walter sitting in for Guy Benson. So it's the happy hour, right? So uh, I thought we'd we'd, uh, have a discussion about what you do a happy hour. Not only do you drink, but you also eat. So let's talk about where you eat. And so uh, I I think we need to speak to an expert on this, someone who does this quite frequently. And I only know this. Don't ask me how I know this. Actually, this is something she fessed up to. Christine, how are you? Are are you saying uh, I I know it well of the drinking or the eating or the both? I'm going to go with both on that one. I wasn't even going to thinking of the drinking, but now that you brought it up, sure. Yeah, good Um, call. So here's the thing. They did a survey. A survey w- was done by one poll for Serta Simmons betting. And they uh, surveyed 2,000 adults. And they asked them about what bothers them most when sleeping and what disrupts them the most. And one of the biggest culprits that most people agree on is eating in bed. People don't like it when you eat in bed because you get the crumbs in there, right? So people don't like that. 48%, though, of people admit that they regularly eat before bed. In bed, 50% will eat sweets, cookies, 42%, salty snacks, 32%, chips, 49%, popcorn, 45 So the number one thing eaten in bed is sweets, then potato chips. Can you imagine getting into bed that have potato chips in them? Yes. I've, I do it many a time. And the popcorn and the candy, all of it. I am a, I am a person that eats in bed, and it drives my husband crazy. So you, and I'm fascinated by this. So you eat before you go to bed. So uh, so you sit, you, you must have an incredible metabolism because I'm at that age where I cannot eat like after eight o'clock at night because I'm doing that intermittent fasting thing anyway. But um, the, one of the things I hate is eating and then going to bed because it just all turns to fat. How do you do it? Well, you haven't seen me in a while. No, <laughs> um, I, I probably could lose weight. Because that's probably not a great thing. I try to do the intermittent fasting as well. But I don't forget, I try. I go to bed early sometimes because usually I'm up early with my daughter getting her ready. So um, do you know what I do? Here's confession time. And it's probably so gross and I cannot believe I'm even going to admit this on air. But 
my like secret favorite snack is to go get like a tablespoon and then just like scoop up as much Nutella as I could on that spoon. And then like I just like eat it over like 20 minutes. Like I'll just kind of, it's kind of like an ice pop to me. And no, then I- my husband kills me because I leave the spoon on the nightstand. So I have like a collection of Nutella spoons. Yeah, I I will I will take a spoon every now and then, not often, but I will take a little bit of Nutella and then peanut butter, mm. and then I put the whole thing away and I walk away. So so, but only every now and then. So here's the thing: I will eat in bed, but here's when we do it on the weekends. My husband brings me coffee in bed as a treat. Aww. So on Saturday and Sunday mornings, I get coffee in bed. And sometimes we've been watching Mad Men because he's never seen it. I watched it when I was living in Washington, D.C. and I had an apartment down there during the week. I would watch it when I would get on uh, the, the treadmill or something like that. You know, I, I'd watched Mad Men because we couldn't watch anything together because we, we only saw each other from Friday night to Sunday morning. So we're watching it now. So we will sit on Saturday and Sunday morning and we have something to eat and our coffee and we watch Mad Men in bed. So, but I will tell you, even then, there's still crumbs in the bed and it drives me, I have to vacuum it. It drives me crazy. Even though there's plates and everything, you still get crumbs around. How does that not drive you insane? It doesn't bother me. I'm also a clean freak. If, if people that actually listen to the show know, like I have a vacuum problem. I collect them. I had four at one point last month. So I am constantly cleaning so, I, you know, it, it doesn't bother me. My husband is, like, completely opposite. My husband believes the bed is just for sleeping, and that is it. Like, he doesn't want to watch TV in it. He doesn't want to eat. He doesn't want to read. Nothing. It is literally for him to put his head down on, to sleep his, you know, six to eight hours, and then that's it. Where I think, like, my bed is my home. All right. So those are that's his deal breaker. What's your, what's your deal breaker? Um, I guess I don't really have any. I'm trying to think. What would really bother me? I mean, I have another one of Bob's deal breakers, I'll tell you, is I sleep with the TV on. Yeah, you have to put it on sleep. That's really bad. That's very bad sleep hygiene. You have to put it on sleep. You have to have that little button, and you put it on for like 30 minutes. You fall asleep, and then it turns off because I could see where that's annoying. Well, Christine, I appreciate you being so honest. Thank you for having me on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you to Guy, Wyatt, Daniel, Christine. Have a great week, everybody. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.